Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas period and even though the celebrations are a little different this year, I was happy to spend it in a really lovely quiet way. I hope that your celebrations were equally as positive. This week I thought I would um, give you a little bit of a different episode with two subjects as both of these subjects I wanted to cover but there wasn't really that much information. To follow up for last week's Christmas folklore tales, I thought I would give you some of the history and meaning behind the traditions that we follow at New Year's. I can be honest and say that I have not stayed up past nine for the last four New Year's. Having a child who naturally wakes up before six every morning does not want to make me want to stay up any later. Plus, I did a lot of my partying pre-having my son. When I'm going to be talking about the New Year traditions, I'm of course going to be talking about the start of the Western calendar. I understand there is many New Years in many different cultures and religions, and each of them has their roots based off thousands of years of practices. But this is the one that I follow and the one that I feel that I would like to delve into a little bit more. The celebration of New Year has a long historical pedigree. It is deeply embedded in the human psyche and highly influenced by seasonal cycles. The New Year's festivities date back some 4,000 years to ancient Babylon, connecting religion and mythology. In ancient Babylon, the new moon following the vernal equinox, when in late March, an equal amount of sunshine and darkness are present, mark the new year. The vernal equinox represented the rebirth of the natural world. The Babylonians celebrated a religious festival called Akitut, which evolved from the Sumeranian word for barley, which was cut in the spring. That involved a different ritual on each of its 11 days. During the festival of Akitut, statues of the gods were paraded. Rituals were reenacted to symbolize their victory over the forces of chaos, and the Babylonians believed the world was symbolically cleansed. The world was recreated by the gods in preparation for the new year and the return of spring. The early Roman calendar compromised of 10 months. Each new year began at the vernal equinox. The Roman new year originally corresponded with the vernal equinox. And tradition suggests that the calendar was created by Romulus, the founder of Rome, in the 8th century BC. Over the subsequent centuries, the calendar lost its synchronicity with the sun. Julius Caesar decided to solve the problem by consulting with the most prominent astronomers and mathematicians of his time in 46 BC and introduced the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar is a solar-based calendar The calendar closely resembles the modern Gregorian calendar that most countries around the world today use. Julius Caesar instituted January 1st as the first day of the year, partly to honor Janus, the Roman god of change and beginnings. Janus had two faces. 
enabling him to look back into the past and forward into the future, and hence transition from one year to the next. Romans celebrated January 1st by offering sacrifices to Janus in the hope of good fortune for the new year, and accompanied the sacrifices by decorating their homes with laurel branches, as well as attending Bacchanalia. The 1st of January set the stage for the next 12 months. Friends and neighbours made a good start to the year by exchanging well wishes with gifts such as figs and honey. In medieval Europe, however, the celebrations accompanying the new year were considered pagan. In 567 AD, the Council of Tours abolished January 1st as the beginning of the year, replacing it with days carrying more religious significance such as December 25th or March 25th, the Feast of Annunciation also called as Lady Day. At the same time, January 1st was given a Christian significance by becoming the Feast of Circumcision, the eighth day of Christ's life counting from December 25th. The Feast of Circumcision reflected the Jewish tradition of circumcisions eight days after birth, on which the child is formally given his or her name. In 1582, after a reform of the Gregorian calendar, Pope Gregory VIII, sorry, Pope Gregory XIII, gosh, can't read my Roman numerals, re-established the 1st of January as New Year's Day. As most Catholic countries adopted the Gregorian calendar almost immediately. Protestant countries adopted the Gregorian calendar over the next 300 years, but Britain did not adopt the reformed character calendar until about 1752. Until then, the British Empire and their American colonies still celebrated the new year in March. By the way of a concluding comment, New Year's Day did not become a public holiday in England and Wales and Australia until the UK joined the European common market. By contrast, Christmas Day was a public holiday except in Scotland, where it was a bank holiday in 1871, Bank Holiday Act. Bank holidays or public holidays were not regarded as holidays and businesses and local authorities continued with business as usual and the traditional of local holidays prevailed. The attitude of the church in Scotland contributed to the Christmas being effectively suppressed until the 1950s. In 1971, the Christmas Day Act made that day a bank holiday across the whole of the UK. That's just a little bit of a history of New Year's Day and where it actually originates from and how the westernised culture actually adopted it. I thought it was really interesting to see that it used to be in March. Obviously, spring, the giver of new life, is something that you do actually think of as being the start, as, as a beginning. But I suppose like a baby, everything needs to hibernate before it can bloom or blossom. So why not start it in winter? Or for me, summer. The height of summer at the moment. So I'm now just going to move on to a few traditions that do actually take place in different countries around the world and sometimes a little bit of meaning behind them just to 
give that little bit of representation in there. So making a lot of noise and light seems to be a favorite pastime across the globe. In ancient Thailand, guns were fired to frighten off demons, which is similar to ancient China, where firecrackers were used to root out the forces of darkness. In Denmark, it is a tradition to throw plates and glasses against each other's front doors to banish bad spirits. While in Ecuador, it is a tradition to burn effigies of famous people to destroy bad juju from the past year and start afresh. The roots of all of these seem to be to light up the dark and make a lot of noise to keep evil from passing from one year to the next, which I expect a lot of people this year will hope that the bad luck of 2020 will not cross over into 2021. One of the most enjoyed parts of a New Year's Eve party, or New Year's Eve just in general, is the food and drink, and these both have historical significance to them in different cultures. In Spain, people attempt to eat 12 grapes during the 12 strokes of midnight. Tradition says that if they succeed before the chimes stop, that they will have good luck for the 12 months of the coming year. In Dutch homes, eating anything ring-shaped, such as a donut, symbolises coming full circle and leads to good fortune. While in Swiss homes, dollops of cream, symbolising the richness of the year to come, are dropped on the floors and allowed to remain there. No thank you. I don't think I'd like that sitting and festering on my floors. The Irish, however, enjoy pastries called bannocks. And in India and Pakistan, a meal of rice promises prosperity. And in southern US states, black-eyed peas and pork foretell good fortune. The tradition of having sparkling wine or champagne heralds from Spain, where kava is served for guests for making toasts. While in Old England and Scotland, they drink a drink called wassail, the Gaelic term for good health. Wassail is either a punch-like drink or a hot pint, depending on the area you come from, and is drank along with neighbours to form prosperity in the area. Throughout history, New Year's resolutions seek to raise behavioural standards by treating people better, making new friends and paying off debts. For example, going back, Babylonians would return borrowed objects. Jewish people would seek and offer forgiveness. Scottish people go first footing when they visit neighbours to wish them well. Humans are social animals who have evolved to depend on others for well-being and safety. The common phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is an example of a survivor's strategy. A New Year's resolution is an example of the universal human desire to have some control of whatever lies ahead. The future is, after all, unsettling. Too many unknowable and to that extent challenges the human desire to take control and power over their lives. Typical resolutions to diet and exercise, abstain from drink and start saving, provide a sense of control over the uncertain days to come. Perhaps typically a survey, nothing changes on New Year's Day, of 3,000 people in 2007 
followed them for a year. 88% of people failed into meeting their resolutions, while 52% of them had been confident that they would when they had made them. And finally, there is just some old customs and beliefs that are simply passed down through the ages. And these are some of the most famous, some favorites that are actually put into old age sayings and proverbs. On New Year's Eve, kiss the person you hope to keep kissing. So that's where the kissing at midnight comes from. If New Year's Eve night wind bloweth south, it betakeneth warm and growth. So I suppose it depends on the weather for what type of year that you'd have coming ahead. For abundance in the new year, fill your pockets and cupboards today. That's something that I sort of have from my family. That always fill your cupboards on New Year's Eve and do not clean on New Year's Eve because you'll be cleaning up all the good luck that you've gathered in your home. If the old year goes out like a lion, the new year will come in like a lamb. This saying, I suppose, is what people would hope for this year, that we have had a bit of a rampaging lion throughout the whole globe during this pandemic, but also the amount of struggles that people have had just that would be normally without that pandemic. So hopefully this new year will be like a lamb. And the last one, begin the new year square with every man, which IE means pay your debts. So it means go into the new year owing nobody anything. Since I could not find a huge amount on New Year's and I didn't want to be blending different cultures New Year's in because I didn't want people to get confused or sort of sully the reputation of any other New Year's as I think that they do have their own standing. I thought I'd also delve into another type of folklore but into the winter folklore of creatures of Christmas time and winter time. Since animals are involved in a lot of the festive season, from the animals that witness the nativity to the robins on our greetings cards and Santa's reindeer, the creatures of Christmas truly animate the magic of the festive season. According to tradition, animals may augur good or bad luck at Christmas time. They play an important part in many ancient customs and it is a widespread belief that the descendants of those who are present at the nativity still show their defence on Christmas night. On Christmas Eve and 12 of the clock, now they are all on their knees. An elder said as we sat in a flock by the embers in the hearthside ease. Picture the meek, mild creatures where they dwelt in the strawy pen, nor did it occur to us of their, the doubt that they were kneeling then. 
So the novelist and poet Thomas Hardy viewed the kneeling cattle in the midnight homage. Their breath is averred to be sweet because it has warmed the infant Jesus. Sheep are also said to turn east and bow at this hour. And it is deemed especially lucky to make up to a flock at Christmas time. The power of the crowing cock to dispel evil spirits, which, like the ghost of Hamlet, fade on the crowing of the cock, is particularly potent at Christmas, when it is said to raise its voice all night long. Bees, too, are believed to hum a sacred hymn on Christmas Eve. In art, depictions of the Virgin and Child, such as famous by example of Leonardo da Vinci, often include a cat. The most likely explanation lies in the legend that a cat gave birth to kittens at the same time as Christ was born. All Christmas country rituals involve parading animal effigies on the streets. In Dorset, where it was called the Usa, and in Wiltshire, a terrifying bull's head mask was worn by a man swathed in sacking, who demanded refreshment from anyone he met. In Kent, a horse's head on a pole was paraded, demanding drinks and money. If ye the hooden horse doth feed throughout the year, you shall not need. The humble donkey and the stalwart camel. It is largely from their associations with Christianity that the donkey or ass has acquired its reputations for goodness and specifically for the gentleness and humility. The donkey makes a key appearance in the nativity bearing the pregnant Mary on her journey to Bethlehem. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, when they had been warned of Herod's evil intent to kill all male children under two years, Mary, Joseph and the infant Jesus fled to Egypt on a donkey. In medieval France, their escape was once celebrated in the Feast of the Ass on January 14th. As part of the celebrations, a girl carrying a baby was led through the streets on a donkey. But the church took measures to stop the festival when, over the years, it degenerated into a burlesque ending in religious ceremony in which both priests and people pray buried like asses. There is no biblical record of the wise men reaching Bethlehem by camel. But these creatures renowned for both their staying power and their stubbornness. They have nonetheless become integral to our Christmas imagery. The description of the poet T.S. Eliot in The Journey of the Magi is truly evocative. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year. For a journey, and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp. They're very dead of winter. And the camel's gold, sore-footed refractory, lying down in the melting snow. The Cheerful Robin. The endearing robin redbreast with a little fear of humans is a bird long welcomed for the cheer it brings to the winter's dark days. For centuries it was associated with the season of goodwill, but it became the favourite theme for Christmas cards only from the 1860s. 
According to one story, a fire lit to warm the infant Jesus blazed up so strongly that the robin flew towards the baby. And as the bird spread its feathers to protect the child, was scorched red as it did so. Another more prosiac explanations is that our familiar robin gave its name to the first postmen who wore red jackets and were commonly nicknamed robins. It has been deemed lucky to see a robin, but because it is believed to carry a drop of God's blood in its veins, it's extremely dangerous to kill one. Such a murder was believed to make cows produce bloody milk, at the very least. Even taking robin's eggs from nests was said to leave the culprit with permanently bent fingers. Santa's transport. Given his full complement of assistants, Santa rides his sleigh on Christmas Eve with the help of eight reindeer. To the ancient Samai, this was occasion of extreme awe for around the winter solstice when the sun appears only briefly each day. These creatures with their glowing antlers seen chased by a hunter and his pack of dogs symbolised a race against doomsday when the sun would shine no more. Even looking at the reindeer could be dangerous enough to cause permanent blindness. In the Celtic tradition, some believe that Santa's reindeer evolved from the horn god Hearn, each representing one of the year's solar sabbats, the festival celebrating by changing seasons. Reverence for the stag, a symbol of strength and sexuality, epitomised by its autumn-rutting behaviour, may have been expressed in dances, during which men wore stag costumes, complete with many branched antlers. When it comes to our modern tradition, we need go back no further than 1821, when the New York printer William Garley introduced the reindeer. Old Santa Claus, with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night, o'er chimney tops and tracks of snow, bringing his yearly gifts to you. There can be no better way to relish the wonder of the Christmas season by understanding its animals, consternations and connections. The exploration and expression of such wonders carries on with each generation. you enjoyed this week's shorter episode i know it was a little different but i did as i said at the start want to be able to cover both these subjects but also give a media episode worth listening to next week i am looking to return to true crime just for one week as i know i have covered quite multiple weeks on true crime but it's a case that i did want to cover and it's a case of john price I recently listened to a thanatologist called Cole Imperi and what she said made an impression on me as she said the victims of horrific murders 
and horrific things. Whenever a podcast is made about them, you don't know how it affects absolutely everybody in their lives. And it made me sort of reconsider how I am going to approach some of my subjects. I know I have already previously said on this podcast that whenever I'm going to talk about a murder, I really want to put the victim a center part of that stage because they are the victim. And even though something has happened to them, often causes ripples in the waters. Like it affects all their family, their friends, their acquaintances. Anybody who even just went to school with them, it could be 10 years ago, it can still have an effect on someone. So I do want to cover this case because I do truly believe it's something that people do need to be aware about and how to protect themselves from disgusting people. But I will be putting John Price at the centre of my discussion and focusing on him and his life as well. But then after that week of true crime, I am going to be looking to follow up with an episode on the folklore of the Pie Piper, as it's something that I came across while I was looking at the animals folklore and it really interests me so I'm going to give it a crack. So my sources for this week were Wikipedia, the Alamac, a website which I really actually loved which is called folklorethursday.com. Amazing, completely not what I imagined it to be. And my animal law came from a book written by Ruth Binney called Animal Law and Legend. I would highly recommend reading this book. It's beautiful. It's not that long. And to support a lady who obviously has done a lot of research into this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. Please follow us on Instagram at Macabre for Mortals. Join our Facebook group at Macabre for Mortals podcast. Or just send me through an email at macabremortals at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Well, I hope you have a prosperous 2021. I know that we all can't go into the new year looking so positive, but let's see if we can improve on last year's failures. Have a great week. Bye.